Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Fans, it's really time to place all your bets. The NBA, as you know, is in full swing, and the college basketball tournament is about to get underway. And hey, there's a $100,000 bracket madness contest available right now on betonline.ag. It's really the place to go for all your bracketology needs. You get the news, scores, odds. It's the best place to place your bets, and it is free to sign up. So go ahead and head to the website, betonline.ag. Use your mobile device. Sign up today. You get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. It's BetOnline AG. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome again, gang. Mark and I, so appreciative of all your support, all the ratings and subscriptions, and hope you're going to continue telling your friends about the podcast and checking out our full library. Don't forget that. On this episode, we're joined by former Cub Mark Pryor, a player who burst onto the scene with a ton of hype, ton of expectation, gave Chicago fans and all of baseball really a taste of greatness before finally succumbing to an unending string of devastating injuries. But Mark, he stayed in the game, he earned a World Series ring, and he continues to help a lot of people by sharing his story. You know, it's interesting, Mike. I remember when Mark Pryor came into the league and there was huge expectations of him really taking the Chicago Cubs to where they haven't been. And I think everyone's path is not necessarily their success on the field. And everything that Mark Pryor has gone through, it's resonating now because he's the current pitching coach of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And what a message to send to all of these guys he's trying to develop. Can't wait to hear his stories. Well, Mark, clearly one of the more exciting runs in the game, and fans got just a taste of what a special athlete you were. Let's talk about what you perceive to be your signature moment in the big leagues. You play from 2002 to 2006, all with the Cubs. What jumps out to you when you look back? Yeah, I mean, I mean that's always a hard one to like pinpoint, Um but I, I think the one that I always go back to is the day in, in 2003 where we clinched the division. Um, you know, I, I think it was a team uh, that we weren't expected to do a whole lot that year. And, um, you know, we, we came together like like a lot of teams do. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a fact, you know, when, when teams are winning and teams that go deep in the playoffs, they, they come together as a team and they play well. But I, I think we, we had a doubleheader. Uh, against the Pirates uh, the Saturday, last Saturday of the season. And, uh, you know, I just remember the electricity at Wrigley, um, you know, scoreboard watching by fans, uh, even in the old scoreboard <laughs> up at Wrigley, you know, they'd, they'd put a, you know, they'd put a run down uh, for the, uh, for the opposing team. We were running down, uh, I think we were ahead of the Astros and the Brewers were playing those so Brewers would get a run and, and you know, the, I'd throw a ball and, uh, you know, the whole, the whole crowd would erupt. And I'm like, what is going on? This is kind of, you know, kind of checked me up a little bit, but, uh, you know, we, that, that day, just in general, we won, we've won both games, swept the double header, you know, won the division, um, big celebration. And, uh, I just remember, you know, that was the first time that I really felt like, okay, I'm, I'm, this is what it's like to be in the big leagues. You know, I mean, I'd, I'd already been there a year and a half and it had some cool, you know, individual moments. But I think that was for me, it was like a, sig- a personal signature moment. I just I really enjoyed that day. That was a lot of fun. Uh, when you think about it, Mark, uh, um, going through a playoff run, you, you lost 95 games your first year in the big league. So that playoff run means a lot. Obviously, the Cubs fans, uh, their documented history. But you had a veteran Pitch a uh, veteran hitter, uh, Eric Karros, who had a, a really cool message to you, which I think is interesting. Eric Karros, a longtime Dodger, did not make the playoffs, and he's going through that process for the first time. Uh, what was that message to you? Yeah, I mean, EK was, you know, uh, it, it was awesome to have him on a team, and, and we we had those veteran presences, and I just he I distinctly remember him as like remember this boys. I mean, he was. <laughs> he was videotaping the last two and a half months or two months of this pennant race because he knew how special, you know, going to the playoffs is and what, you know, if it obviously didn't culminate in a world series championship, but if it did, how big of a deal that was. And his message was basically like, you know, remember this boys, because it doesn't always happen. You know, I've been around this game a long time and, 
he, he just was like, you, you have to appreciate where you're at in the moment and be present because, you know, it doesn't happen. And, and we saw that um, the next couple of years, um, you know, we, with some injuries, we had a tough time repeating what we did in 03. So uh, I, I still did today remember that. And I use that uh, message to a lot of players, you know, now, like, you know, this, this, we have to, you know, you have to strike when you can. Um, and you have to, you know, go in day in and day out and, and do your job and try to help win ball games because you just don't know when the window is going to close or when the window is going to open. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective because you say strike when you can. Uh, you had a chance to strike long before this started coming out of high school. You you could have signed uh, with the Yankees. You were a first round pick then. Um, you elected for whatever reason not to instead go to Vanderbilt. Why was that? Yeah, I mean, that was a. Uh... You know, that was a hard decision. I, I think a lot of it started with I, I wasn't, you know, one of those, uh, I guess, early on in the process, I wasn't one of those, you know, this guy's going to be a first rounder, this guy's going to be a second rounder. So it wasn't, I didn't have that long buildup, you know, for a year, two years. I mean, and now it's even more so. I mean, the ninth and 10th graders. Um, and, you know, I, I, I was recruited to go to college and, um, you know, education and college is very important. My mom was a school teacher and an administrator in school for 30 some plus years. And I'm the youngest of two, uh, three kids and my older brother and older sister, you know, were at Villanova and, and USD respectively. And, you know, so, I mean, the college thing was just kind of like, it's just what I knew I was supposed to do and what I, you know, what, what I was going to do. Um, and so the whole first round thing kind of came out, kind of came up late. Um, you know, went into my senior year and, and didn't really, you know, think much of it. I knew scouts were there, but I didn't think I was, you know, I was more of like a fifth, eighth rounder type thing. And for me, that wasn't enough to, to really think think about it. So going into it, I just was like, I'm going to school. Um, then I got drafted and, and it did give me pause. And obviously, you know, the potential signing uh, bonus um, you know, it, it's impactful, but, um, at that time I just felt for me and then for my development and my maturity, where I was at, I felt like going to school was, was the best route. And, and I was willing to take that bet on myself. Mark, an interesting aspect. You chose not to sign with the New York Yankees, but you went to Vanderbilt university, played there for a year. Uh, tell us the, the way that you went to, from Vanderbilt to USC, cause that's an interesting story. You know, I, I went to Vanderbilt. One of the reasons I went to Vanderbilt is I wanted to play both ways. I had this, uh, you know, idealistic dreams that, you know, I can be uh, I can be a two-way player <laughs> and found out that the, uh, the spin pitches in college are a little bit better than high school. So <laughs> that didn't work out as well. But uh, so I went to Vanderbilt. I loved the school, uh, loved everything about it. It just, uh, from a baseball perspective, I think after getting drafted with the Yankees, after pitching a year there, I realized like, okay, I do have the potential probably, to, I do have the potential to play professionally. And I felt like I was, something was just missing there. And so I decided to, uh, I basically just decided like, if I, if I go to SC, that's the only place I was going to leave for, because I loved Vanderbilt and I loved the school and I loved everything about it. I just felt like the baseball fit for me uh, wasn't going to get me to that next level that I wanted to be. And so uh, transferring to USC, um, I was very fortunate that, you know, Mike Gillespie, John Savage, you know, had a spot for me there and transferred in there. And, and obviously everything else was, uh, was great, you know, and I loved it. And it was, a uh, it was a great place for me to the culture, uh, the winning atmosphere at that time, uh, and what Mike and, and John, um, instilled in me from a discipline standpoint, um, the details and, and how it is to win ball games, uh, impacted me through my, my career. Yeah, the late uh, Mike Gillespie, who we uh, lost in uh, last July, um, he made a huge impact on you, uh, as you, as you know. Uh, how important is to have that mentor, to have that influence in college, especially the process that you had to go through? Because uh, scouts were knocking on the door trying to, to get at you and try to figure out where that draft position was going to be. Yeah, Mike, you know, my... my you know, my dad uh, obviously was very influential in my life and still is. And, and um, you know, he's the dad that, you know, you would any kid would want um, supportive, do anything for my kid or for your kid. And, you know, I hope to be half the man that he is raising my kids. But Mike, 
also played that role, you know, whether it was fatherly or, or grandfatherly, you know, uh, he, he didn't like when I called him a grandfather, but <laughs> he, he had that, he had that grandfatherly type, um, I guess, place for me. Um, he was very, he challenged me to, to, he challenged me to be great every single day. Um, he challenged me to be a leader on the field. Um, how he managed games, how he didn't, I mean, this guy did not miss a thing on a field. You know, he knew everything the opposing coach was going to do. He knew everything the opposing pitcher was going to do. And he knew everything that was going on in left field with his own team. He just, he just had a way about him um, where he didn't miss details. And, and his attention to detail is what you know, one ball games, we weren't the most talented team there. You know, this wasn't the, the mid nineties teams, you know, that were, you know, rolling out the Boones and, and Jock Joneses and, and those types of guys. I mean, we, you know, there was a few of us, but we, we had a lot of guys and we outplayed, we outmaneuvered teams. And that was a lot of because of Mike and he didn't have a lot of patience uh, for not, you know, for not going out every single day and trying to play your best, whether that's on a Monday morning practice or whether that's, you know, Friday night, you know, against Stanford or, or UCLA. So, um, but when it came to the draft, uh, he knew what I was about to go through more than I knew. Um, he'd been through it with some of the other guys. And honestly, if it wasn't for him, I mean, he, he, I don't want to say he overprotected me, but he, he for sure protected me. He allowed me to stay focused on my school, my classroom stuff, and, and allowed me to stay focused on, on what I wanted to do, which is try to get back to the world series for that, for that team. And, uh, you know, for that, I'm, I'm, I'm forever grateful. And, and he just, you know, he means so much to guys in their lives who didn't even play baseball. He impacted them in so many ways. And, um, still still kind of stings to think about it because you know when we did lose him it was obviously in the middle of last year where it was just a tough tough road for him because a lot of people weren't able to kind of get to him and uh, you know say their wishes but uh, yeah he's uh, he played a very important family you know fatherly grandfatherly figure for me at that time and it was much needed yeah those needed influences are, are so important to our growth as a as a human being more importantly than than a baseball player. Also, uh, th there's been people in, in your life, and, and uh, it's well-documented. Tom House was yeah. one of those guys that, uh, uh, listen, he, he was known as the father of modern pitching mechanics, professor of throwing, whatever you want to call him, but the knowledge and the versatility he had as a pitching coach, a mentor, uh, what did he mean to you? How did you guys uh, first meet? Yeah, Tom is, uh, yeah, he's, 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 he was one of the original gurus. Um, I guess that's probably the best kind of word, encompassing word. Um, you know, we, we met by chance. Uh, I was a sophomore at uni high school, um, and he, his son was a senior at La Jolla High School. And uh, I came in and relieved, I think I could relieve Barry Zito in this game. And uh, I think I, I immediately threw some uh, gasoline on the fire and gave up, I think, 10 runs in the, you know, in the third of an inning. And, you know, just by chance, my dad happened to be sitting next to another dad who happened to, you know, know Tom and Tom was sitting next to him and they got, they kind of struck up a conversation and, you know, Tom was like, Hey, you know, I haven't come out to a field. And, and, and that's kind of how it just organically started. It was not anything that, you know, I was searching out. I taken some pitching lessons uh, from, from a couple guys down at Southwestern college, Jay Martell and Randy Abshire, who kind of helped me through my youth baseball, but um, Tom, I, I run into again, my sophomore year and, and kind of hooked up with them, maybe going into my junior year, like after the summer or, or the summer leading into my junior year and just kind of got some basic stuff. And, and that relationship, you know, slowly built over the next couple of years, you know, I'd see him here or there once a month, maybe over Christmas break, stuff like that. And he just really helped me understand what it was like to train for pitching. He started giving, you know, you know, you start getting into that junior, senior year and basketball coaches wanted you to, wanted you to lift and get big. And um, the one thing my dad as an ex-football player knew is that probably there needs to be some direction with that versus just going in and, you know, the high school weight room and doing whatever. And, and it helps, you know, like I think that's where my jump from my senior to my, excuse me, my junior to senior year in high school, all of a sudden there was, uh, you know, some very noticeable changes in, in my body and, and how it was playing. Um, and then coming to my, you kept that relationship, you know, going through my college years. And then I think the biggest impact he had on me 
was going into my junior year is this the mental emotional side of the game you know how to stay how to cope with adversity off the field how to cope with adversity during the game how to stay present you know and executing you know the, the old cliche one pitch at a time and and I mean, that still holds true. And as you know, it's like, you know, one pitch, ball strike, foul ball. Um, I think that that helps me take take my game to another level um, just on that side and how to control emotions and control, you know, thought process and stuff like that. Um, you know, so that relationship slowly began my sophomore year and just kept building and building. And, um, you know, and, and on the physical side also had its components too, but the mental emotional part of it, was was huge i mean that took me it took me to my sophomore to my junior year took me like three grades above to what you know what i was able to do my junior year yeah evidently it paid off obviously you have the great career at usc you're the golden spikes winner best amateur player in the country in 2001 and you're drafted again in the first round uh this time though by the cubs let's talk about the call-up though because in may of 2002 you only made, I think, nine or so minor league starts. What do you remember about getting the call? Who told you you were going to the big leagues? What was your reaction, and who'd you ta- contact right away? Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, you made me. You had to made me go down in the depths of the old memory <laughs> bank here. <laughs> it's a long time ago. No, um, you know, it, it was. Uh, yeah, I made uh, six starts in Double A, and then I got promoted to Triple A. And, uh, you know, it was crazy. I was just, I mean, maybe 21 and a half. I don't know, something like that. And, you know, I'm sitting there with uh, uh, Alan Bennis and AAA, uh, Pat Mahomes, uh, not the current one, the older one, Um, you know, just some some older guys. And I'm like, you know, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, these guys are like 15 years older than me. And, uh, but they were great. You know, like Alan Bennis took me under his wing and, and granted it was like 10 days. And he just kind of like, again, it was like those veteran leadership, those veteran presence that you need just to, to watch how they work, how they interact or daily routines. Um, but I uh, made two starts at home and then we went down to new Orleans and um, you know, it was raining and I got, I just, I, didn't, I don't want to say I got, shelled but i got hit around you know i probably gave up a, a, i don't know how many a few amount of runs uh fourth inning feel like there's a tropical storm going on down there and they finally yank me and i'm kind of just miserable in the dugout and then i walk into the clubhouse and then uh our president was there and he said uh you know it's andy mcphail at the time he goes hey that was a that was not a good game and i said yeah you know thanks for pointing that out <laughs> And uh, he was pretty, pretty straight to the point, but uh, I like, I like that about him. But uh, he goes, uh, you know, you're going to jump on a, just so you know, like, um, you know, you're going to jump on a flight and um, you know, you're going to be, uh, you're going to go to Wrigley on Monday. You're starting on Wednesday. And it was just kind of like, like, really? And he's, I'm like, after that performance, <laughs> you know? And uh, he goes, no, it was more on the last two performances in Des Moines where you, uh, you, you shoved it up there booty but uh so i was like okay like here we go this is it and um you know obviously you call your your parents you call you know your family call Bogsy, you know and uh and and now going through it on the other side like most people get like you know 10 hours notice like you're pulling them in after a triple a game and say hey you got the 6 a.m flight you know from el paso to to san diego you know go enjoy it uh and uh so they had given me a heads up, you know, go get your stuff back in Des Moines. And then they wanted me in Chicago early so that I could get used to get used to Wrigley, you know, uh, Larry Rothschild's, uh, the irony of all of these, you know, the connections of life, you know, had me throwing a bullpen on uh, Wrigley's, you know, main mound, you know, Monday on an off day, just so I could kind of get used to the environment. Um so yeah, it was just kind of surreal. Told my parents, said my dad, dad flew to Des Moines, drove my car from Des Moines, like through the cornfields all the way to Chicago. And he's like, I don't know if I've seen that many silos in a while. <laughs> um, you know, and it's just, it's like, it's weird. Like, it's almost like, would it have been better with 10 hours? Cause then only like two people were there. But I think, cause it was like four days. And the next, thing you know, it's like, I need, I need 45 tickets, but you're only allowed four. So, uh, <laughs> But uh, Bogsy was great about kind of helping organize all that. And, uh, 
but it was just, yeah, it's just like, you don't, you're like, you're going, but you don't, it was like surreal because it's like, well, I got like four days to think about that. And, and um, again, fortunately, you know, veterans there, John Lieber, another guy, you know, took me under my wing when I got to Wrigley or when I got to the team and, and he kind of showed me the ropes. He'd been around Jason Beret, um, who I occasionally talk to still like took me under his wing. He'd been around and he'd done some great things at that, you know, with his career. Um, you know, Carrie Wood, uh, who was on the younger side, but had been there and had gone through a lot of the things that he knew I was going to be going through, uh, was great, you know, of showing me and talking to me through some things and kind of showing me the ropes without like, you know, in, in a great way where it wasn't like kid do this, do that. It was more of just like, Hey, these are going to be some of the experiences you're going to have. And, um, I, I feel very blessed that, I came into, you, you mentioned we lost 95 games and, and obviously that's indicative of the talent that was on the field, but I wouldn't have traded the veteran players that I came up with for anything because they, they have impacted my career more now than, than, you know, anybody else I think has. It's just watching Lieber, the way he treated me and Bray, Woody, Moises Alou, who I love and would do anything for, and was fortunate to work with again when, when I was with San Diego Padres, you know, he was, he was awesome. And so I just, I hope, I think it's still here in the game. Um, we talk about it. I know like Justin Turner with the Dodgers, he, he, he's that way. Um, Kirsch and those guys, but like that, I just feel that those interactions and relationships are, are just so impactful on young players and sometimes on whether they have success or whether they don't, you know, and, and how they how they take that um, that that information. in. I always describe, uh, Mark, the, the discussions uh, that you have as influences when you get to the big leagues, because you you almost assume that you, you, you know a lot, but you're just you're, you're on the fly. Um, right. Those conversations mold you. Uh, like you mentioned, Moises Salou, one of the greatest teammates I've ever had and you start realizing and reflecting after your career's over of what they really meant to you. But at the time, man, did you need it? Uh, did you yes. have to, it's almost like walking you through that path. Um, take us to that debut. You're 21 years old in Chicago. Um, the Chicago Cubs are just waiting for you to almost turn everything around. Uh, take us to that debut. What did it feel like? What was it like being on that mound officially with fans in the stands and knowing uh, this was a huge impactful moment because you pitched very well. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. Again, it was just kind of another, you knew it was going to happen. Um, and, and I guess I, I had the benefit of knowing it by that time. And, and I don't mean the, that I was told I was going to pitch, but I guess by that time, you know, I'd gone through spring training and big league camp. Um, and pretty much kind of proved to myself, like, you know, I can pitch at this level. So I didn't have necessarily those butterflies. Like, do I really belong here? Um, and so, but it's still like, okay, now the lights are on at Wrigley. There's 40,000 fans there. I hadn't, you know, I'd never pitched in the stadium like that. Um, and, you know, I just, I, just kind of just remember just kind of like going through a little bit of this, you know, I, I was very routine oriented and uh, to the point of like OCD. And, and the, that was just the way like, I, okay, I knew it. Game was at seven Oh five and we're starting at five fifty, and and we go. And, and I think that allowed me just to stay, stay on point um, of what I needed to do. And, and, uh, but I, I will remember, you know, going through that first at bat and, throwing that first pitch and but look before that looking up and going wow this is uh it's definitely not usc with 400 fans <laughs> um you know and, and i probably at that time the, the closest i'd been to a, a packed stadium would have probably been the queue in you know in 98 in the pennant run you know and like you know not to date yourself or, or myself but for that matter since the darn stadium's like all of dirt right now but yeah um you know, I remember in high school going to those games and that was probably the most I'd been to a game where like, you know, you had that kind of an atmosphere and it was, I didn't know at the time what a playoff atmosphere was like, but it, it was, there was a lot of energy and, you know, but typical baseball, you know, first guy, boom, base hit right up the middle. And then you just go to work. 
And uh, it was probably the best thing for me. You know, it was just to, to kind of, you know, like, hey, your fastball, you got to get ahead of counts and your fastball is not going to beat guys late in counts. It's not college anymore. And uh, you go to work and, um, you know, you kind of settle back in. But it was uh, it was fun. I mean, it's it, you couldn't imagine it any other way. It's just, you know, it's night game under the lights. We win a ball game. You pitch well. Guys play well. Your family's there. The crowd's going nuts. Um, it, it felt like, hey, we're, we're off. We're going to go win. We're going to, you know, you have that feeling like, hey, you're invincible. And, and then, like you said, we lost 95 games. So, <laughs> Fans, want to take a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether you're looking for that rare dead stock or the latest release, you'll find the exact shoe you're looking for. You know, as the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop that pair you've been eyeing. You know, with eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. You get a team of experienced folks who are going to verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also gets that authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity and it also protects sellers with that verified return process and for sneaker sellers out there ebay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers of hundred dollars or more making it free to sell or flip your collection so go to ebay.com sneakers today ebay the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection hey though you do pick up that first win as you point out in your very first time out in the big leagues and uh you win six that year now the hype really starts right in the next year 2003 you jump in the world has these expectations and you managed to deliver under all that pressure you have an 18 win season and you also make the all-star team uh in 03 which i thought was interesting because not only are you only 22 years old, but the game is at U.S. Cellular Field, which is the home of the White Sox that year. And Dusty Baker, who had spent the previous year with the Giants, is your manager now. Um, right. What was that experience like for you making the All-Star team? Well, yeah, it was uh, it was a little bittersweet, I, I will admit. Um, you know, making the All-Star team was a, was an was a great honor, and, and I, I'm not positive i think that was the first year where players voted because of after the the tie game in uh, milwaukee the year before and they kind of changed it so uh being voted in you know obviously you know i was in that first round by the players or, or however they did it back then um that that was pretty cool uh to know to to be recognized by everybody you know your peers um was was pretty cool uh, bittersweet because the start before is when I, I decided to try to take out the Marcus Giles on the base pass and uh, ended up landing, you know, flipping up. He flipped me upside down and I landed on my right shoulder and, and um, bruised my rotator cuff. So I didn't get to, unfortunately, I didn't get to pitch. I got to take in all the, the festivities, but I didn't actually get to pitch. And um, so it, from that standpoint, I was kind of bummed because um, that was three or four, you know, that happened like four days before the All-Star game. But it's, you know, that was probably more nerve wracking than anything walking in, you know, you got Barry Bonds on, you know, one side of the locker room, you know, I obviously I was there with Kerry Wood, um, you know, you got Gagne on the other side of the locker room who I'd watched, you know, of college and um, it's just, you know, it's crazy to see the, the talent in that room, you know, you know who they are and when you put them on a field against, you know, opposition Cardinals or, or whoever, are all in the same room and it's even in these last couple of years that I've been fortunate to, to be with Doc and his staff uh, at the all-star games in Washington and in Cleveland you're just like dang man you're looking at 35 like all-stars these guys are like legit and you're just like there's a lot of talent in this room and um, yeah you just kind of you know and so at that time I'm 22 I'm walking around I'm like man I grew up watching you I grew up watching you I grew up watching you it's kind of like one of those moments um and so it, it was pretty cool to watch them and, and then just kind of watch how they interact and uh, how they talk and they share stories. And, and then I think you just kind of realize, you know what, they're no different than when, how we act on our own team. You know, they're just here and having fun. They really enjoy the game. They're just a lot better at it than a lot of people. Mark, uh, we touched on it earlier in, in that run in 2003. You and Kerry Wood won two in strikeouts that year, uh, dominating performances. And that was that one-two punch for the Cubs. Uh, going into the NLDS, a division series, you lock horns with Greg Maddox and also the Atlanta Braves. 
what was that experience like? Because uh, getting to that playoff was very important for you. Yeah. Th- yeah I mean, this is probably signature uh, moment uh, one point or A or B or, you know, right underneath the making the initial playoffs. Um, yeah, this I could get really granular if you want on this one. This game, I remember like it happened yesterday. This one is uh, probably just one of those moments, one of those games you just remember. You know, you can check off 98 of them, the other ones, but this one, um, I just remember it was it was a Friday night and it rained all day and I was stuck in my apartment, you know, most of the day. And, and I, one of the reasons I actually love day games is because it was like get up and go and like you didn't have to think about it. You didn't have to dwell about dwell on it. And then the, now even more so, I, I have much more appreciation and disdain for it uh, is, you know, when you're in the playoffs, these guys are, you know, everything you turn on on SportsCenter or MLB TV or whatever, it's constant, you know, breakdown of every little situation. And so you, you have a tough time escaping some of the, uh, the coverage, but uh, so it was a Friday night and you're sitting there all day in the rain at home. Um, I just remember, you know, there's questions on whether or not we're going to, is it going to be, be delayed? Is it not going to be delayed? And I go out and I'm warming up, I'm warming up. I get, I start like the first two warm up pitches and like, I'm literally, I don't want to say I'm going to throw up, but like I, the healthy anxiety is in overdrive. And I just look over, I look across the diamond and I see Maddox just kind of sitting there, you know, he's like twiddling his thumbs. And I'm like, what is this guy doing? Like, we got a game in like, you know, whatever it was, 10, 15 minutes. I'm like, he's not even throwing. Like, what does he know that I don't know? This is ridiculous. We're at home. And sure enough, man, they come out and they start rolling the tarp. And I'm like, you know, Larry's upset. And that's to put it mildly. Uh, I'm kind of annoyed. And um, so we have like a 30, 40 minute rain delay when we get started. And I, I, to this day, that was probably the best thing for me. You know, it, it just gave me a chance. I, my, my anxiety went to being just pissed and mad. And, and then, you know, after that, calmed down for a minute. Then like, hey, we're going to start at whatever, 8 o'clock. You know, then I went out and it felt like a normal game. And, um, you know, just... Locking horns with him. It was a tight game. Um, you know, I want to say it was like ended up being like three to one. And, uh, you know, Randall Simon, you know, did his little thing, kind of knocked in a run. I remember Grizzlonic coming in from like shallow right field on a pop-up that landed like two feet behind me. I think I blew his shoulder out because I didn't catch it. I went out, you know, for the ninth inning. And this is, uh, this was probably one of the, probably the cooler, like in like personal moments, uh, Getting the playoffs was a great team moment for me. You know, I just remember going out in the ninth inning, you know, going through, I'm getting ready to face kind of the, the, bottom, the middle to the bottom of their lineup, um, more middle of their lineup. And uh, I just remember like fans on their feet, standing ovation, and it went from cheering to like chanting my name. And then that checked me up. Like I was pretty locked in all day. And then like that one gave me goosebumps where I'm like, oh man, they're, like that's my name. Like that. That I don't usually get too like rattled on things, and that one like caught me for a little bit. That I had to kind of gather my thoughts. Um, that was crazy. That place was so loud, and I'd never been. I mean, it was beyond the loudest place I'd ever been. Um, and just remember, like, I think we got two outs, and then I struck out um, Javi Lopez on a ball that was like in the left-hander batter's box, and like went to the went to the backstop. So I was like, oh man, you know, now he's on base. So now home run kind of ties it, but uh, fortunately popped him up. And and there's always the picture of me, like sticking my finger in the air. Like, you know, like I need to tell him where, tell him where it is, you know, <laughs> like, Hey, it's up in the air, you know, but uh, that was just like, that was just like one of those games where like, once you got locked in, you were locked in. And the only time I got kind of checked out of it was, was when I heard my name and then uh, fortunately I was able to kind of re- refocus and get back at it. But, uh, you know, pitching against Maddox, um, you know, he'll, he'll give his, his side of the story, which is always great. But, uh, you know, I mean, I grew up in the nineties, you know, watching baseball. So it's, it's a uh, small, it's club and, and, and it's Maddox. It's like, it's Greg Maddox. And then uh, to face him in a playoff game to face the Braves who at that time, you know, they're on their 11th, year 12th consecutive year who knows uh with chipper and 
for Kyle and Chef. And I'm like, geez, man, this, you know, they were, they were, I mean, there was a team, it was one of the teams. I mean, I, the Padres, Braves, and, you know, to a lesser extent, the Cubs growing up because they're on WGN. I mean, those were the teams you watch. And so uh, to get a chance to play against him and then get a chance to play with him the following, the following years uh, was a lot of fun. And, uh, but that was one of the, probably the best, one of the probably the better games I've actually thrown too. That was, it was a lot of fun, but to, to throw a complete game in the playoff, your first playoff game against Maddox at home, that, that was awesome. Storybook uh, continues even after the division series because then you oh, take on the. Down, you're going down that route now. Well, I'm going a different <laughs> route. We're hopeful because everybody I think who follows the game is well aware of uh, the NLCS. Then you're squared up against the Marlins. You pitch a couple of games uh, in that series, and the focus always turns to Game Six because you're five outs from the World Series. Uh, Cubs fans, I know you don't want to hear this, uh, but it leads to a larger question. You're up three nothing. You're in the top of the eighth inning. The wheels come off, centers around a, a fan, Steve Bartman, who reaches for a ball that uh, ends up being deflected. Moises Alou can't catch it. Bottom line, Marlins score eight. You don't win uh, game seven, and you're done. That said, you have said for a while you don't blame Steve Bartman for what happened. Um, you kind of put the blame and onus on yourself for a pitch you might have thrown uh, later in that game. But I do have to ask you, have you ever had a chance to speak with Steve Bartman, especially since the Cubs then go on to win the World Series in 2016 and, and he gets an honorary ring from the organization? Uh, I have not. No, I, I have not. And and to my knowledge, I don't know if any of the players from that team or staff had actually talked to him. Um, I mean, he obviously went into hiding and, and didn't do a lot of public communication. Um, but I, I've, I've never had a chance to speak with him. Um, or, or communicated any, in any way. Um, and, and, and it still holds true, you know? Yeah, okay, maybe he catches it, maybe he doesn't. You know, that happens a fair amount uh, on, in baseball games when we have fans. Um, you know, plus now that we have Nats down the line. But, uh, yeah, we, we had our opportunities. Um, you know, the, the, the pitch you alluded to was the one, uh, 0-2-1-2 curveball to, to Pudge uh, where I hung it and he was able to put it in the left field, you know, uh, we had a chance on a ground ball that, that uh, you know, Alex uh, Gonzalez, who makes that play 99.9% of the time. I think I was so sure-handed, you know, he didn't make that play. Um, Derek Lee decides to cheat to a ball on the inside. That's what I tell him all the time. <laughs> you, know, you know, he decided he wanted to cheat on one, and so he turns – I mean, honestly, we gave up like eight runs in a matter of like 11 pitches. It's actually incredible how fast it happens when you actually go back and watch it. So, uh, yeah, it was it was a great run, and um, we were close. And and I'll tell you, last year, I mean, we got between five outs and winning some of those, you know, whether it was against the Padres, whether it was against the Braves, whether it was against – you know, it's like every time I hit that five out mark, I'm like, we're not even close to this thing being done. And uh, so, yeah, the, the, the wound is still healthy from that standpoint. But, you know, it's closed when it comes to like blaming it and what happened. It's I think everybody's by now should have at least moved on. I would hope they've moved on from that. Yeah, you think about that, Mark, too. I mean, that impacts you, and it's always forever answering those questions. Also, after that year, you went through a rash of injuries. Uh, whatever, it was it was there. Um, and I love the fact that you wrote the SI article in 2016, which documents a lot of aspects of what you went through. Um, and a lot of that is the Dusty Baker, uh, the, the excuse that people say, hey, Dusty Baker hurt Mark Pryor's arm. Um, we all understand as former players, man, you go out there with a mentality, you go out there to, to compete. Um, however, it, it, your story ends, it's pretty interesting, that aspect. My question to that is, you did not put blame on Dusty Baker, which I think is, is classy. It's the way you should do it. It's the way you should go out there and say, hey, listen, I own my own career. Have you had conversations with Dusty along those lines? Because to me, if you're on the Dusty Baker side, uh, that that's tough pill to swallow because of all of the uh, aspects that you had uh, leading into your career. Yeah, I mean, Dusty, Dusty and I have a great relationship and uh, we've stayed in contact over the years and, and it was awesome to see him last year a couple of times with the Astros. Um, you know, it was 
it's fitting that he kind of went into that situation, I guess to put it, you know, mildly, uh, because he just has that, you know, he has the ability to just, you know, relate to every type of player, every, you know, player for whatever their culture is and, you know, just kind of bring some unifying uh, message to these guys. But Dustin, I've talked, Dustin's one of the reasons I stayed in the game. You know, we, we met um, one, he was, I think at the time he was with the Reds and we met in Old Town, you know, for, he wanted to have lunch when he was in town and I just, he had just finished uh, playing and I want to get in the game. And he's like, well, I'll tell you, if you're going to get in the game, do it quick because game, you know, generation you get moved past pretty quickly so yeah our relationship is good I don't blame I, mean, I don't blame anybody like there's no blame it's just part of life you know like there's ups or downs there's injuries you know some guys are very blessed not to be injured and, and go off and to have great careers other guys you know they run into it I I'm I would not have changed one thing in that year because I wanted to win a world series and to be honest you know we're all you know products of our, our life experiences if, if maybe I don't get hurt I don't I'm not here talking to you about the rest of my career you know and 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 people sometimes they they need a, they don't necessarily understand what I mean by that is like you know I went through some you know because of the injuries I went through some dark places I went through some bitterness um where you know it was you know mad at everybody there was a blame game it was never a dusty but it was like it was this it was that like you know and and you take a lot of heat in different ways and then you come out on the other side and now i'm able to pass on my experiences to the next generation of players and i did that you know hopefully i was a, a sounding board for players when i was at the end of my career in the minor leagues um and i think it allows me to relate to a lot of different players now as a coach you know i, I know what it's like to be uh, in a Walker Bueller shoes, but I know what it's like to be in a guy who's maybe had two shoulder surgeries and uh, is really struggling with his his mental game right now, and but might have impact on us, you know, in the middle of the season and win a few ball games or or later in the season, you know. I mean, so um, you know, I'm very fortunate to where my life has gone from from that aspect, and feel grateful for everything baseball's given to me, whether it's been positive or win negative. I, I think it just, they're all life experiences and, um, and, and bake is a huge part of, you know, my, I guess my story. Um, but like I said, we've, we've stayed in contact. He's always been a friend. Um, we catch in catch up with each other, like maybe once, twice a year on the phone. You know, I ran into Darren in an airport and can talk about, you know, talk to Darren and, and, and use, you know, so it's from a family standpoint, bake was always, uh, I always considered him family and, and I know more now as, as on development side and being on a coaching staff and a big league side, like it's not easy. There's always a balance act between win today and winning tomorrow and winning the season versus the organizational's outlook in two, three, five years. And it's, it takes a lot of uh, communication from those different staffs to really put, you know, put that priority on, on what, what matters in the moment. But it's really hard to lean on a manager and say, like, you know, you got to have this five-year outlook. I mean, their, their, their job is to win today. You know, it's remarkable to me, the personal growth uh, that you talk about is your last pitch in the big leagues is 2006, but you tried so hard to come back and fought through so much as you had said, not just the mental struggles, the personal struggles, the blame, but the physical injuries until you finally walk away from the game in 2013 and then you go into coaching, as you said, maybe at Dusty Baker's urging or certainly his inspiration, uh, get a front office job and some coaching with the Padres and then to where you are currently, as you pointed out, uh, pitching coach uh, as the job evolves for you with the Los Angeles Dodgers, which puts you in an interesting spot in 2020, part of what would become a World Series championship team in a strange COVID truncated year. Is it possible to even boil down what it meant to you after that entire ride for Mark Pryor to be on the field with your guys as world champions? Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I'll be honest right now. I, I can't, I still can't kind of put a reader's digest version on what it was like uh, because there's so many, uh, there's so many layers to last year, 
you know, personally and professionally. Um, you know, I think when you break it down into the simplest form as obviously as an athlete or, you know, you love to compete. So whether it's 15 games, 60 games, 162, like you're just trying to win whatever it's like. I mean, it's like giving your buddies out playing, you know, ping pong or cornhole in the backyard. You don't care what it means, but you want to win the, win the thing. Um, and I think that was the mentality like, hey, if we're playing this, let's just win the damn thing. But that was kind of the mentality that everybody had. It's like, if we're going to do this, we're going to go lock ourselves in a hotel, uh, you know, do all the things that we're, you know, we were supposed to do. Like, we might as well go out and, and win this thing, uh, or, you know, at least try to win it and not make excuses of, you know, we don't have home field advantage, blah, blah, blah. So I think from a professional standpoint, like, it was awesome to watch how our guys just under the circumstances just kept working day in and day out with all the, the, the restrictions because it was different. It is different and this is not a i don't want to say it's, it's not a complaint it's just different where you you lost a little bit of control of kind of your daily life or your daily schedule i should say not dating your life but your daily schedule was taken out of your hands and you know i struggled with it uh, a lot of guys struggle with it you couldn't come to the ballpark you know until a certain time you had to leave right away and so you know you lose some of those communication moments with players, you can't talk to players inside, you know, so there's all these like little things where you lost kind of that, a little bit of control of your, of your schedule. And, um, and so that took some getting used to. Um, and, you know, so those, it sounds like a little thing, but, you know, as I think you guys know, like those, that's a big thing. That's a big thing in baseball. I mean, we are very, you know, creatures, uh, of habit and when you throw off a guy's schedule when he normally shows up at x time and, and then he's eating and then he works out and then he goes to the cages you know and all of a sudden that gets shifted and only like two guys in the cage like that that has impact on guys you know as far as their confidence and how they feel so it was fun to you know now looking back it was kind of fun and, and to see how guys were able to adapt and then also prove that guys were able to adapt so when they say they can't adapt like you just show them like you did adapt so uh, from a professional standpoint it was it was really cool um it was really cool to, to be honest to beat the best teams in baseball I, I think you know there's always going to be a question well it was only 60 games yeah it was 60 games but we also played the best teams in baseball in the playoffs we played the Padres we played the Braves and we played the Rays and to say that we won and we beat those three teams and, and probably the Yankees would have been the, the other team that was you know considered the best team of 2020. Uh, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, from personally, like you dream of winning a world series, uh, you dream of getting a ring, whether that's a player or a coach. Um, I'm pretty excited about that. My family's, whether it's been my parents, my brother, my sister, or obviously my immediate family with my kids and my wife, like they've been through my, my journey the whole time. So to, for them to, to have that, Unfortunately, I wasn't able to celebrate with them because they, they couldn't get into the bubble. Uh, so it was a little like anticlimactic from that standpoint. But um, at the end of the day, it's like we won. And 15 years from now, and talk about how silly some of the things, what we'll know in 15 years, how what's some of the things were silly of, you know, you know, as far as can't share, uh, can't share like a pine tar stick or something like that, you know, like things will come up. But uh it, it was a lot of fun, and 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 there was a little college atmosphere. I'll admit, and sometimes we liked it. It was a little bit of a college atmosphere, you know. You're, you kind of felt like you're in a dorm room with like your teammates. Like you know, there was nowhere to go. Couldn't leave the couldn't leave the premises. So, uh, so from that standpoint, it was nice and a little bit different. You'd look at it too, uh, Mark. No one can take that away. I mean, that's the bottom line. Uh, it's a it's a World Series championship. It's a very talented roster. Uh, an interesting aspect is your first year as the pitching coach. Um, you're also doing it and someone might say this is a parallel career is that you look at Mark Pryor when he first came into the big leagues and Clayton Kershaw, sure thing, hall of famer. Um, he's winning his first world series. What is that personal relationship like and how great is it to see through his lens as uh, your experiences and now being his coach? Yeah. I mean, Clayton's, um, but his, 
His laser, I mean, his laser focus is, is unmatched and he is not, he's not going to be outworked. And he's not going to be outwilled. And that's the one thing, you know, I, I don't, it's kind of like kids. Your players are like kids. Like I don't ever like compare like players to players or you, you know, you say like, Hey, uh, you know, Tony, like you need to be like this guy because I just, everybody's an individual and, and they do it differently and they think differently. Um, but the one thing that I, I point to Clayton when if I use him as an example is this dude will not be outwilled. He could have the worst stuff on any given day. And in the playoffs, he, he at times didn't have his best stuff. But he's going to try to beat you no matter what. He's going to basically will himself to beat you. and He's going to help us win ball games, And to see the weight of literally the world off of him to change the narrative of, of what, you know, his postseason legacy was this year. Uh, was awesome for him and, and his family, uh, and extra, I think everybody's obviously excited for what he's because he's what he's done for the game and as well as the Dodgers. But just to kind of like have that breath and take a breath of like, wow, we did it. Um, it's pretty cool for him, and uh, and it's uh, you know he's uh, he's pretty special on how he still stays like focused, but he's great to talk to. Um, He's a good influence on everybody in all aspects of his life. And uh, it was extremely excited to see him and go out there, be able to one perform. And this is the thing that I always checks me up when you, when you start hearing about the narrative is this guy's made, uh, I don't know. I mean, he struck out like 200 people in the postseason. He's made close to 30 postseason starts. Like he's made 30 postseasons. So let's just call it 30. I mean, I'm give or take or whatever it is, but like, that's a lot of starts that's a lot of starts where you're not going to do well. So unfortunately it's just happens to be on center stage and he doesn't do well. And, and, and I think we all have the, you know, last moment, you know, feel like what did he do for us lately type mentality. And so uh, to go out there, the, you know, to have the wherewithal when, when Margot's stealing home, like you just, you can't teach that. Like that is just, it, it's just really good player being really good at the right time and the right moment. So um all of us were so excited for him and uh, to see just kind of now too, where there's a different, there's a little bit of a different mentality where it's like, he still wants to go out and, and compete and, and win. Uh, but now it's like, let's go win another one. Not a have to win one. You know, it's interesting. Even Santa, we had him on the podcast and we thought the same with, well, you know what? He's been to the top of the mountain, battled some injuries. wonder how much more he feels like he has in the tank. But to your point, this guy is a grinder. Uh, if there ever was one strong willed fellow, we'll see what uh, the future holds for him. And we'll see what the future holds for you as well. It's been a heck of a journey. And we can't thank you enough for all the time you spent with us today. Congratulations on being a world champion, too, by the way. And hopefully uh, you share the wealth with the rest of the league. Don't be a hog. It's kind of a bad look to be too greedy. But uh, best of luck in 2021. Can't promise that. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. It was fun. Thanks for, uh, for taking me down memory lane. And uh, I'll close that door and, and get back to work. <laughs> Thanks so much for checking out Major League Beginnings. If you had as much fun as we did, we hope you'll go ahead and hit the subscribe button where you usually download your podcast from. It could be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you like. We're just glad to have you aboard, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.